This morning we have the joy of continuing on our study of 2 Timothy, and we will look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, please read these verses with me in unison. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as children humbled before you, grateful for the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his birth coming down to earth, taking on human nature, the nature of a servant, dying the death on a cross, bearing the weight of the law in our behalf, both in its fulfillment to obey and its fulfillment to die for those who have sinned against the law. Father, we are so grateful for this. And as we consider each of us our standing in Christ, we rejoice, we are glad, we are relieved, we are at peace, we are humbled, and we embrace one another in love because of what you have done in each one of us. Thank you that we can look at each other and and encourage each other and love each other knowing that in Christ you have begun a good work that you will continue and complete. And Father, as we recur to your word this morning, we ask that you would continue that work, that you would open the word to us, accompany these words this morning with spirit and power and full conviction. May we be stirred to remain active in our service to Christ, in our love for Him, by His grace alone, even now in this unique season of gathering with family. May we speak of Christ and His kingdom and His glory. Father, use this message and these words this morning to that end. We pray this morning for Nick. We thank you for Don and Ernie. Thank you for their sons, the gift of life, the gift of children. We thank you that they have given the message of Christ to their children faithfully over the years. We pray this morning that you would relieve Nick of this pressure on his brain, allow the surgeries to be successful. I'll prepare him, Father, if it be your will. Just a word, and you make the lame men walk and the blind eyes to see. Father, and we ask that you not only raise him up off of his sick bed, but we, give, we ask you to give him spiritual eyes that see. That he would hear, even in his heart, the message that has gone into his ears many times over the years, and he would humble himself before you. He need not get up. He need not even speak a word. Father, you can work faith and repentance in a moment in the heart of the sinner who is drawn by your Spirit. Father, we ask you to do all these things. 
Father, for your glory, for the joy and comfort of Dawn and Ernie, for our joy as we share their, their sorrow and their pain with them at this injury to their son. Father, you know how to turn sorrows into joy. We ask that you would do that with Nick and his family. For your glory we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Savior. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Second Timothy, I continue to remind you of the historic context of this book. Very important, very critical for our understanding of the intensity of Paul's words throughout this letter. Paul's imprisoned on the verge of martyrdom. And he knows it. He says it in this letter. I am being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And Paul, being fully aware of that and the fact that God has chosen Timothy to follow him in ministry, to take up the mantle in the gospel ministry, Paul is very intent to really do three things in this letter of 2 Timothy. One is to preserve the message of the gospel. He is is urging Timothy to hold on to the words that he has given to him. Keep the message of the gospel pure. Don't change it. Don't lose it. Don't get distracted from it. Hold on to the gospel. Second, Paul is seeking to perpetuate biblical ministry. To do ministry. To lead the church. To care for people. To care for the flock of God as Christ would have him to. And then thirdly, to prepare Timothy as a godly man. Timothy has a lot of growing to do. And so do we. And so Paul is calling Timothy to grow in his spiritual maturity and how he thinks about being a vessel of the gospel and how he thinks about being a leader of the church and how he thinks about being a follower of Christ. All of that, Paul is working to mature in Timothy in this final letter of our precious Apostle Paul. Chapter 1 focused largely on Paul calling Timothy to preserve the message. It was heavily focused on the message. That's the way 1 Timothy was too. Chapter 1, Paul up front starts with preserve the message. Correct those who are teaching a wrong message in 1 Timothy 1. That's the most important piece, isn't it? If we could put these in priority, it is most important that the message of the gospel be biblical, be apostolic. Be just what Christ delivered to Paul. And so he calls Timothy throughout chapter 1, stir up the gifts you have within you to herald the gospel. Verse 8, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Verse 8, share in suffering for the gospel as you proclaim it. Verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that I gave to you. Verse 14, Guard the gospel deposit. So there's the emphasis, the main emphasis. There are other parts of Paul's goals scattered throughout the chapter, but I think that's the priority in chapter 1. Preserve the message, Timothy. Chapter 2 shifts focus some. And I think the focus in chapter 2 is largely on preparing the man, Timothy. And that's a logical order. Get the message right. 
conform to that message, your character, and then minister to others the way Christ would have you. So chapter 2 is largely about preparing the man, Timothy, so that he will be a faithful, godly servant of Christ and minister of the gospel. If I had to outline all of chapter 2 for us so that we kind of get a big picture of what's coming, I would put the title as this, and I just put this on my PowerPoint for this morning. You could put this as a title over all of chapter 2, not just what we're going to talk about this morning, the portrait of the good servant of Christ. And I'm borrowing that title, good servant of Christ, from 1 Timothy. Remember that section? Actually, it's chapter 4 in 1 Timothy as well. So we have this good servant of Christ. Paul calls Timothy to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And so this good servant of Christ is the one who faithfully preserves the message of the gospel, ministers biblically, pursues personal godliness in all things. We can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so 1 Timothy 2 is largely, largely focused on this as well. Now, maybe you could jot this down and we'll kind of get the big picture of 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7 focus on his character. The portrait of the good servant of Christ. Verses 1 through 7, his character. Verses 8 through 13 focus on his motives. Why does he minister? 8 through 13, his motives. 14 through 19, his responsibilities. 20 through 21, his ambitions. And 22 through 26, his responses. So 1 through 7, his character. 8 through 13, his motives. 14 to 19, his responsibilities. 20 through 21, his ambitions. 22 to 26, his responses. I'm sure there's lots of different ways to outline this book, different titles you could use, but here's what we're going to do to help us, guide us through this chapter. And it'll take us a few weeks, as you can see. You'll notice that Paul skillfully exhorts Timothy to embrace this preparation in chapter 2 by pointing him to several metaphors. It makes this chapter very interesting, very engaging. Several metaphors that illustratively model the kind of character that Timothy is to pursue as a godly man or a servant or a minister. We're going to look at some this morning. You see in here uh, a faithful steward, a soldier, a farmer, and so on. There's several throughout the chapter. And Paul calls Timothy to pursue the character of the good servant of Christ by the strength of Christ's grace. If I could summarize in one statement... Verses 1 through 7, this would be it. And you can see that at the outline that I've been given to you in your bulletin. Pursue the character of the good servant of Christ by the strength of Christ's grace. So what is the character of the good servant of Christ? What is it? What makes up his character? How does he think? What is his mindset? Number one, and we're going to look at just the first three this morning. And we'll, Lord willing, look at the second three next week. Number one, he's strengthened by grace. You could put it this way. He's dependent on Christ's grace. He doesn't go out in his own strength. He's not thinking, I am strong enough. 
I am smart enough, I'm skilled enough to do what God has called me to do. God has called me to do this because he knows I can handle it. He doesn't have that mindset. He knows that God has called him to these things because Christ is strong enough. Because Christ has all the grace that he needs. This verse begins, as Timothy says, you then, or maybe some of you in your translations have you therefore. And of course, whenever you see therefore, what's the famous phrase? Always figure out what it's there for. And it looks back. It helps us to look back into chapter 1. Paul is, remember, you have to remember this. When you're reading these letters in the New Testament, Paul did not put chapter 2, verse 1, right, you know. This was a letter. This was a letter just like you write a letter. Dear Timothy, you know, and it's just a letter. So he's ended chapter 1 with this great defection from Paul's apostolic authority and even the gospel by so many in Asia and these two leaders, Fugilus and Hermogenes. And then you have this example of Onesiphorus who was faithful to Paul. And so this is one of the things that Paul is saying. Look back at this, Timothy. I don't want you to defect under this pressure. The pressure of me being in prison, the pressure of hostility against you for the sake of association with me and the gospel. I don't want you to be like those in Asia. I want you to be like Onesiphorus, faithful to the end, serving. So there's a defection to avoid, Timothy. Therefore, be strengthened. There's God's gospel to deliver. Again, you see that all through chapter 1, verse 6, stir up your gift, Timothy, so that you can preach the gospel. Verse 8, share in suffering. Don't be ashamed. Verse 13, follow the pattern. Verse 14, and so on. You have these calls to guard the gospel and proclaim the gospel. There's a gospel to deliver in the midst of difficult circumstances. So, be strengthened, Timothy. And there's God's power to depend on. It's a theme that runs all through chapter 1 again and right into this first verse of chapter chapter 2. Notice verse 7 of chapter 1. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's the the power that Timothy is to rely on. The Spirit of God within him. The Spirit of Christ within him. Strengthened, empowered by that Spirit. The same Spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis and called the things that are nothing to be. Verse 8. Share in suffering for the Gospel by what? What's the end of verse 8 say? By the power of God. That is available to Timothy in Christ. Verse 12, Paul says, I suffer like this too. But I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believe and I'm convinced that he is able. He is able. God is able to preserve the gospel in me and in my ministry and to keep this going, Paul says. And he will do the same for you, Timothy. Verse 14, By the Spirit who dwells within us, guard that deposit. Timothy, as you think about the defection to avoid, as you think about the gospel you need to deliver and the circumstances that surround that, think about God's power that is in you, that you have available to you. 
So you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a good word of encouragement to Timothy. And notice how he calls him my child. Paul knows just what to say to Timothy to encourage him. He reminds him of the relationship of love and affection that they share together. Profound exhortations have been given, but great affection and encouragement thereby come with those exhortations. So be strengthened, Timothy. Receive strength. Be strengthened. Increase in strength. This is a... All right, those of you working on grammar, this is a present, passive imperative. You're going to get used to these words. All right? Imperative. That means it's a command. It's something you must do. Paul is is imperative about this. Right? He is commanding Timothy, you be strengthened. You've got a lot on your plate, Timothy. Be strengthened. And it's active. I mean, sorry, it's present. So that means it's something he has to continue to do. And over and over and over again. It's continual. Timothy, continually be strengthened. And it's passive. So that means it's something done to him. And that speaks so much to us because Timothy doesn't strengthen himself, does he? No, who is it that strengthens Timothy? God strengthens him. Christ Jesus strengthens Timothy. So this is something that Timothy is to continually pursue because he'll continually need that strength. Remember who Timothy is. He's grieving over the loss of Paul. He is young. Remember? Last letter. Don't forget 1 Timothy, right? He is young. Those are despising his youth that are around him. He is weak. He has sickness. Remember, Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments. He's timid. He's discouraged. He's overwhelmed with the task that's been placed upon him by Paul in Ephesus. He's afraid. He has an immense calling on him. And what he needs is something that only Jesus Christ can do for him. He needs to be strengthened. Therefore, that's why Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Divine grace alone is what will strengthen Timothy. And Christ is the strength. Christ is the source of all strengthening grace. This grace is given by Christ and received by Timothy through Timothy's union with Christ. Timothy doesn't deserve this, right? That's what grace is, unmerited favor. All of God's riches given to you at Christ's expense. Through his union with Christ, Timothy has grace. Remember the gospel that Paul gave to Timothy in chapter 1? Look at it, verse 9. The God who saved us. God's power is available to Timothy. Christ's grace is available to Timothy because God saved him, rescued him from the punishment of his sin, rescued him from the guilt of his sin, declared him righteous in Christ, called him to be his child, called him to become holy, not because of Timothy's works, but because of God's purpose and what? His grace, this unmerited favor, this infinite kindness lavished on Timothy, which he gave through Jesus Christ. All this available to Timothy. Verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That 
ability to keep trusting the words of the gospel and to love others as we proclaim it only comes from Christ. The grace of faith, the grace of love come from Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 17 in 2 Timothy. 4, verse 17. Paul gives his own testimony under great circumstances, under great afflictions, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Think of that word, Timothy. Listen to this, Paul says. What great suffering Paul experienced, great abandonment, great betrayals, great suffering, and he says there, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Isn't that a fantastic, encouraging phrase? And that's what Paul, will do, Paul says will, uh, Christ will do for Timothy. By the grace of Christ, be strengthened. Christ will stand by you and strengthen you. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that grace trains us It strengthens us. It disciplines us. It enables us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age while we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what the grace of God does. It produces people like that. Timothy, be strengthened by that grace. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound to every good work. What is it that God's grace cannot do in the life of a believer? It can't cause him to sin. It can't tempt him. But everything else that God calls him to, God's grace enables Ephesians 6.10, stand therefore in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you fight the good fight of the faith, God's grace, Christ's grace is available to you. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. So all of this comes to Timothy and he says, first and foremost, Number one, the great priority here before we launch into all these character qualities that Timothy is to pursue, you have one hope for achieving these, Timothy. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing. Stop thinking that you're going to be able to make sense of that, how you can be strengthened by grace. Don't you want to do that? You want to figure it out. Well, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to... X, Y, I got to put all the dominoes in the right order. And then when I get into that tough situation, I'll be ready. You know what? We're going to fail in so many ways. And as you pursue godly character, and as you are tested under trial, and as you are proven through various opportunities to share the gospel, as you rely on God's grace, He will give it to you. And you won't always be able to make sense of how you were strong enough to get through what He's called you to. Please think that way. Just like Paul said, he stood by me and he strengthened me. And Paul looks at that and he says, that's Jesus. That's what he can do. All grace and strength is in Christ Jesus. So listen, as we bring this to an application for for this particular point, 
please believe me, dear ones, and I say this to myself as well, you are not beyond defection like those in Asia. Don't ever think you're beyond defection. You're not beyond turning away from Christ. As we think in our own human abilities, none of us would stay faithful to Christ were it not for His grace, right? We can't be presumptuous. That doesn't mean we, we say, well, I could lose my salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we're not safe in Christ. What I'm saying is as we look at ourselves and we, and we think about the life before us and the temptations that come to us and the trials that press upon us, we are weak and frail. We are not beyond defection. We need the grace of Christ. And you are called to deliver the gospel to others. Whether, whether elders or members alike, we're called to do this. Maybe in different situations and to different people. But we are called to deliver the gospel to others. So we need the strength of Christ's grace. God's power, Christ's strengthening grace is available to you through your union with Christ. Know that. Romans 5, 1 and 2, having been justified by faith, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have access to this what? Grace in which we stand and therefore rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You are standing in grace. I mean, you're surrounded by a lake superior of grace. You're in it. And you take it in. And God enables you to do that. All because of Christ. All because of your union with Christ. You're not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of that. We didn't build that around us. Christ gave it to us through His life and death and resurrection. There's going to be quite a portrait laid out in front of us through these verses. But please don't think for a moment that you have to do these things by your own ability. Remember what we just talked about in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Seek the knowledge of Christ. Seek the experience of the fullness of Christ through His Word, through prayer, through fellowship. But remember, you are rooted in Christ. That's the key. You are connected to Him spiritually, literally, all that you need for life and godliness comes through Him, the knowledge of Him, the experience of His grace. And Galatians 2.20, live by this verse. I am crucified with Christ. Paul's saying, my old life under Adam, that life of weakness to temptation and sin, that life of being ruled and, and, and dominated by the law and sin and death, that life is gone. That life's been crucified with Christ. That life is in the grave, never to rise again. But now yet Paul lives. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He's alive. He's alive through the Spirit. He has a, he has a new nature in Christ. And yet, it's not me who's living. It's Christ who lives in me. See, that, that is the definition of the Christian walk. Christ lives in me. And because that's true, the life we live, we do not live by the flesh, by the strength of flesh. We live by what? Faith. You trust Christ to sustain you and provide for you everything you need to walk according to His will. And is Christ trustworthy for that? How do you know? Because He loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how you know you can live by faith in Christ. He will 
give you his strength. Receive that daily from Christ by faith. Now, not only is the good servant of Christ to be strengthened by faith, that is our character, that is our mindset, that is who we are. But also, secondly, he is to be a faithful steward. A faithful steward. Verse 2. And, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. A faithful steward, verse 2. What is a steward? By definition, what's a steward? Well, a steward is a servant, right? That's a, that's a steward, a servant who has been entrusted with something or someone valuable that is not their possession, that is precious and that must be preserved. Something or someone that is not their possession, that is precious to another, that must be preserved. And though we don't see the word steward here, the commitment of the steward, the character of a faithful steward, is what this verse is all about. Look at the word, let, let's, let's build on this as we look at the word entrust. This is really the heart of this verse, entrust. Paul says he's commanding Timothy to entrust something to someone. Throughout the letter, these words are very, very important. And trust and the other word that's really a pair with this word, and often the same word translated differently, is deposit. Put those two words together in your mind in, as you look at First and Second Timothy. The deposit is entrusted to someone. Look at, look at, let's, let's trace this a little bit. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, This is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day, here's, here's our word, what has been entrusted to me. What has been entrusted to me? So, when we see that, what has God entrusted to Timothy? I mean, to Paul. What has God entrusted to Paul? The gospel, right? That's the deposit. That's the deposit that Paul is continually talking about. God entrusted a precious deposit to Paul. It is the gospel. And we know this from other texts of Scripture as well. For example, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Well, look there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What is it? What is it, Paul? What did you receive and then deliver? The gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised in the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel Paul received and then delivered. God entrusted to Paul the gospel. Look at Galatians chapter 1. And we'll look at a couple of verses there. 
Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul writes, For I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. How did Paul receive the gospel? Revelation directly from Christ. That's amazing. Paul was entrusted the gospel by God Himself, by Christ Himself. Look at verses 15 and 16 of this chapter. But when He who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul was entrusted the gospel by God, by Christ himself. Now, what happens next? Look back at 2 Timothy. And look at verse chapter 1 and verse 14. Now Paul says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the gospel has moved from Christ to Paul, and now from what? Paul to Timothy. Paul entrusted the same precious deposit to Timothy. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he says as well. Look at that there. You've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. What did what did? Timothy here from Paul with lots of people? The gospel. Paul taught the gospel not only Timoth- to, to not only Timothy, but to all whom he fathered and raised up in Christ. Paul's was no secret message. Right? It just wasn't given to a few people in quiet under the cover. No, it, it was open. Paul preached openly, publicly. For example, we see in Acts Chapter 20 and verse 20. It says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul openly declared what he had been given by God. And look at verse 27. It says, again, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And then again, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, we see that Paul took that gospel and had it affirmed by other apostles. He told his gospel to all, and they affirmed it. Everything Paul did was open. And above board, in the presence of many witnesses, he proclaimed his, this gospel. And then he entrusted to Timothy. He entrusted that gospel to Timothy. But with Timothy, this goes beyond just being a receiver of the good deposit. Timothy's more than just a receiver here in this text. He is to be a steward of the gospel, a faithful steward of the gospel. Because he is to keep it, and then what else? Transmit it. He is to pass it on. He is to be a keeper and transmitter of the good deposit. 
Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent battle and, content, and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Timothy is to be a keeper of the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy 1, again, verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the, good, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, as a faithful steward, is to hold fast to the gospel, to the deposit himself, and guard the deposit from change or loss. So, follow the pattern again. What are the generations going on here? From Christ, the deposit has been given to Paul. Paul takes the deposit. He guards it. And then he transmits it to Timothy. And Timothy is to do the same. To guard it, to keep it, to know it. And then we come to chapter 2 and verse 2. And what you've heard from me, now you, Timothy, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, as a faithful steward, is now to entrust this gospel deposit to others. To others for continuing safekeeping and continuing transmission. This is what faithful stewards do with precious deposits. They keep them, they guard them, they protect them, they keep it safe, and they prepare to hand it off because they don't know at what time they may be incapacitated or removed from this life. It must be kept safe. It must be transmitted to the next faithful steward. So to whom was Timothy commanded to, uh, to, to entrust this gospel deposit? Let's look at what it says here. To faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithful men, Paul says. What's that talking about? Well, it's certainly men who had received and believed the gospel of Christ themselves, but most importantly here, the focus is on men who had proven themselves to be trustworthy with the gospel. Men who had proven themselves, demonstrated themselves to be dependable, especially as it relates to the gospel message. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy to pass the deposit on to men who will not neglect the gospel or tamper with its words or tamper with its message. Let me show you this emphasis in Paul's writings for a few texts. Look at 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. We see this theme in Paul's writings about being a faithful steward. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul writes, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. See? There's, here's the portrait of the good servant of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. When you think of Paul being a steward, this is what you need to think of. Paul received the deposit from Christ and he passed it to Timothy, Timothy to others. We're stewards of the mysteries of God, the gospel, the unfolding plan of God's salvation. Verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? trustworthy, faithful, dependable. 
Look at verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Again, he's speaking of the gospel even there, the deposit of the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. How do these faithful stewards handle the gospel then? 2 Corinthians 2 verse 17. For we are not like so many. Maybe Paul is talking about others who would receive the deposit of the gospel from someone. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. We're selling this stuff. We're making the message different so that the natural man will want to buy it. We're changing the message a little bit. We're cutting off its corners. We're making it appeal to the unbeliever who is only longing for fleshly fulfillment. We're not like that, Paul said. Like so many, peddlers of God's Word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Two chapters over. 2 Corinthians 4, 1-7. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for your sake. We're servants for, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to us, belongs to God and not to us. You see what Paul is saying? He's a steward. He has received the gospel message. And he is to give it just as he receives it to unbelievers. And it's not up to him to so change the gospel message that unbelievers to whom he is preaching will receive it because of a fleshly desire. That's not his ministry. And he doesn't lose heart though. Because that's not his fault if an unbeliever does not receive the gospel message. As it is unchanged, untampered with. If the, if the people who receive the gospel are blind to it and so refuse it, that's because of their own sin and the blinding work of Satan. Right? Isn't that what Paul says? But he says, don't change the message. I won't tamper with it. That's a disgraceful, underhanded way. Trust God with the message of the gospel. Because the moment God wants to save an unbeliever, He doesn't need us to change the message to make it appealing to them. What, what God will do is turn on the lights of, to their heart and open their eyes, just like He did in creating the world. Let there be light and there was light. And God will save them and help them to see the glory of Christ as Savior. That's what Paul is calling us to do. That's what it means to be a faithful steward. It's better. It is a better thing 
to preach the gospel just as it's given and totally trust in the light-giving ability of God to save sinners than to change the message and have unbelievers receive a message that isn't even the gospel and think they're saved when they're not. Right? We only have two options. And Paul says a faithful steward gives the message as it is. And so that's what, that's what Paul is calling Timothy to. Entrust the gospel proclamation to men who will do that. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. This is very important because you can see through the letter of 2 Timothy, there are opponents. There are opponents. 2 Timothy chapter 2. There are already enough opponents to the gospel. <laughs> we don't need gospel holders to, to tamper with the message too. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18. There are those who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. There are already enough opponents. Look at verse 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. There's plenty of gospel opponents. Chapter 3, verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And so on. We are called to rightly handle the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. We'll get there in, in the next weeks. And so, this is to be given, this, this responsibility of being a steward with the gospel is to be passed on then to faithful men. And they're men. Just like we see throughout the letters of, of, of First and Second Timothy. First Timothy 2.12 forbids women from being elders and proclaimers in the gathering of the body of Christ. doesn't mean women can't witness out in the world. They should. They must. And they will. But when it comes to the holders of the gospel who lead the church, whose office is elder, that's given to men. We see that in 1 Timothy 2.12, 1 Timothy 3, 3 and 4, 1 Timothy 5.17. So 1 Timothy 2.12, 1 Timothy 3, 3 through 4, 1 Timothy 5.17, and also Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is a responsibility given to men, Paul says to Timothy. So they're faithful, they're men, and also they are those men who will be able to teach others also. Competent and qualified to transmit the gospel deposit to others. Do you see the difference from, from just proclaiming the gospel and being a gospel steward? Guarding it. Not everybody's called to this, this level that Paul is calling Timothy to. To guard it. To make sure it stays the same. To transmit it to others who will do the same after them. We're all called to proclaim it. We're all called to, to keep it safe. But on this level, Paul calls Timothy and other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice that they must be entrusted the deposit before they will teach others. It's a future sense here. Who will be able to teach others also. The entrusting comes before the teaching. That's an important order that Paul gives to Timothy. And so the Apostle Paul is preparing Timothy to think 
multi-generationally. Do you see that here? About gospel faithfulness. He's preparing Timothy to be a faithful steward of the precious gospel deposit so it'll be kept safe and transmitted faithfully. There's four generations here. Christ to Paul. That's one. Paul to Timothy. That's two. Timothy to men. That's three. Those faithful men to others also. And oh, how this faithful stewardship will require Christ's strengthening grace in Timothy, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Notice how closely the command is connected to the grace. Be strengthened by grace and what you have heard and trust to faithful men. Let's take a moment to apply this to our own lives as well. First of all, we have to understand the value of the deposit which we have been entrusted. What is the deposit? It's the gospel. Do you have the gospel? Just like Paul said, in you as a vessel of Christ, you have the message of eternal life. How valuable, what kind of price do people put in this world on those things which will make them live longer? Right? Surgeries, medicines, exercise plans, all of it. I mean, people pay so much, right, to live longer. We have the message of eternal life. Most importantly, because we have the message that leads us to be with God. You have that. That is a precious deposit. How many people around the world today do not have that deposit? Who do not know the way to life with God? Do you value it more than anything else? You have a precious deposit. Romans 10, 14 through 17. How will they hear of him in whom they have not heard? And, and how will they hear without someone telling them? And how will they be told without a preacher? Right? There's a deposit that's given. People are not saved apart from the being given the message of the gospel. Who are we that we should be given this deposit of all the people throughout time and on the face of the earth? We have been given this. What grace is this? What privilege? What, what love from God? And more than that, You've been given this, but, but we as, a, as the body of Christ understand our role as gospel stewards. We have not been given this to keep it for ourselves. And that's it. Well, I, I'm good to go. I have Christ, so that's really all I need. That's not all we need. We are called to pass it on. Maybe not in the same exact way that Timothy was in terms of entrusting it to other elders and, and church officials. But all of us are called to love the gospel and to pass it on in the home, in the church, in the, in the workplace. This is our calling and responsibility. Moms and dads, are you giving the gospel deposit to your children? Or will your children grow up and leave your home and not have it? in their heart and not have a passion for keeping it safe and transmitting it to others. Now, ultimately, you're not in control of their heart response to the gospel. Please don't confuse that with what I'm saying. Only the Spirit of God and only 
Only the Spirit of God can loose the the chains of, of sin and selfishness that bind the hearts of our children. But we are called to give them the gospel daily and to faithfully teach them the gospel. Think multi-generationally with the gospel. Think about this, dear church. Who will preserve the gospel and perpetuate the ministry here when we are gone? Who will do it? Do you ever feel concerned about Delta County? When you're no longer here, you who know the gospel, who will know it after you? Who will go to the places of our town and continue to faithfully hand out the deposit? What about, what about these young, young men here? Our children. Maybe some of them will own this and be a faithful steward with the deposit. We need to think this way. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. What you've heard from me, entrust to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This isn't just about us. This is for generations to come. We need to think that way. Faithful stewards think that way. Make a priority of investing in faithful men. This is an important part of our church ministry. It's a big deal. Timothy makes a big deal of it. Passing on the gospel, sound doctrine, godly living, biblical ministry, passing that on to faithful men. Do you pray about that? All of us can pray about that. God, fill our church with faithful men who will be faithful stewards of the gospel. Invest in that. Do you know who the men are that are training right now? Are you praying for them daily? Are you putting your resources toward it? Materials, all these things. We can can invest in that. We can invest in what the Apostle Paul is saying. The mark of a faithful church is not its ability to trace its lineage to names of well-known historic men. That's not a faithful church. The mark of a faithful church is rather the presence of the faithful gospel safekeeping and transmission of that gospel to the present day. That's the mark of a faithful church. And yet so many people are terrified to leave certain churches in our community because they trace a lineage back to whoever, Peter, Paul. That's not the mark of a faithful church. It's the presence of the protected gospel. That's a faithful church. Rest in the grace of Christ then, my dear ones, to form this commitment into our character and strengthen us to accomplish this text. We need to think this way. We need Christ's grace, don't we? We need it to change us, to see how urgent is our calling. Not only is the good steward of Christ to be strengthened by faith, a faithful steward, but also a good soldier. A good soldier. And I will pick up here, Lord willing, next week. We'll look at the next few. We'll just see how far we get. I don't want to hurry through these. I want you to think about them, to absorb yourself in them, and by God's grace, that we all would be changed by these things. Would you stand with me for just a moment more and let me close our service. I want to I want to speak for a moment, an appeal to you 
who are here that may, not, may be not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Did you know that it requires a kind of suffering simply to receive eternal salvation from Christ by trusting in His saving work and turning from your sin? Jesus, listen to Jesus' common invitation to receive the gospel. He says this, Matthew 16, 24-25, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying? There's some things you're going to have to lay down and let go of if you're going to receive Christ in salvation. Namely, self-righteousness. Christ will not save you by your own goodness. You have none. He won't save you by your own religious actions. Only His righteous life, atoning death, and resurrection is sufficient to save you. So that's one thing you're going to have to lay down. That's part of sacrificing yourself and denying yourself and taking up the cross. You die to self-righteousness when you come to Christ. And you also die to sin. You have to be willing to let go of any sin that Christ would put his finger on. That doesn't mean you've got to clean up your life and, and be presenting yourself as perfect before you come to Christ, but you have to be willing. That's part of God's work in your life to receive Christ as Lord. Are you willing to die to yourself when it comes to sin? Paul knew what it was like to follow Christ like that. Listen to what he said, Philippians 3, 7-9. through 9, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Even Paul knew what it was like to grieve the loss of his self-righteousness of his own works in order to come to Christ. He knew the loss of seeking sin. You know what? Here's the thing, though. When you embrace Christ, his righteous life for yours, his death in your place, in laying down self-righteousness and sin, you're not laying down anything of value, even though you think it is. You're laying down some things that are worthless in order to embrace something of infinite value the person of Jesus Christ. And He's sufficient to save. He will turn your heart. He will cause you to see Him as the way and enable you to embrace Him. I invite you, if you have not yet turned to Christ from sin, to do so today, to, to sacrifice yourself to embrace Christ. You won't regret it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you call us to much more all the time, much more than we can do. And so we seek your grace in all of this. For those of us who desire to be faithful servants of Christ by being faithful stewards of the deposit, and those of us who yet need to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, give us your grace, we pray. Pour it out upon us that we may know your strength, to be faithful, to repent of sin and turn to Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and we are grateful. Amen.